Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hosea 4.6, Approaching God is our title. Our approach to God, approaching God, is our title. In our opening text, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, only because the Lord spoke these two verses here to my heart, wanted me to remind all of us that God's people perish for the lack of knowledge. And because thou hast rejected knowledge, I'll also reject thee, that thou shalt no, be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. The knowledge that is referred to here is not knowledge that's gained, you know, by studying the arts and the sciences or anything of that nature. This is talking about the knowledge of the living God, who he is, praise God, all that he has done. You'll notice in John's gospel, chapter 17 and verse 3, where Jesus himself basically said to all of us, this is life eternal. What is it? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. There is nothing more important than the knowledge of God. The apostle Paul said he would count everything as garbage for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God wants us to know that it's important that we continue to study his word to get to know him better. Look at John, look at Colossians chapter 1. Here the apostle Paul prays in these verses for people. He could have prayed many, many different things for people, but notice what he prays for this church at Colossae. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with what? The knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet to par be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, having delivered us from the authority of darkness and transcending us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even remission of sin. So thank God that he wants us all to grow in a revelation and understanding of who he is, what he has done, and what he has done in us and wants to do through us. And so we're to continue gaining this knowledge and understanding. Now, one can lack knowledge because of ignorance. In other words, I just didn't know. Were you ever there where you just didn't know that God said you must be born again? I was there one time in my life. I didn't know you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. I didn't even know you can know that you can make heaven. That was just ignorance. I just didn't know it. I was never taught. I didn't understand it because I didn't know it. So I couldn't possibly act on something that I don't know. How can you do that if you don't know it? But secondly, there's the rejection of knowledge, which, which is exactly what Hosea talked about. The rejection of knowledge. I remember telling someone about how they can be saved. They said, I don't want to hear it. That is a rejection of knowledge. If we don't want to hear what God has to say, then we're rejecting his knowledge. And think about it. Are we smarter than he is? Are we wiser than he is? No. So we can either lack knowledge because of ignorance, or we could lack knowledge because of a rejection of knowledge. We just won't receive that knowledge, and then you won't know it. But praise God, I thank God that one day I said yes to that knowledge of God so I could know how I could be born again. The second verse or second scripture was found in Isaiah chapter 1, 18 through 20. And here it says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. And just in my spirit, I just heard reverberating within me. I want my people to eat the good of the land. 
I want them to enjoy the full benefits that I have provided for them as they live their lives here upon this earth. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured with the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He wanted the Israelites to eat the prom- in the promised land, the fruit of the land, did he not? He, made it pro- he provided it for them. The provision was made for them to enter in and eat the good of the land, but they were not willing or obedient. Oh, they set out to do what he told them to do as far as go to the promised land, but they weren't willing to go. They wanted to go back into Egypt. And as they did it, they got to the promised land and they became disobedient. They refused to go in, acting on his word, and so they were denied entrance to the promised land. The full blessings of God. How does that pertain to us? There's a whole lot he's spoken to us, he's said to us that we can have an experience in this life. Whether it's ourselves, our marriages, our families, our finances, and so on and so forth, our health and everything. It's up to us to find out the knowledge of God and be willing and obedient to do what he says for us to do to obtain it and to achieve it. Well, then finally he turned the tables on them and they, he said, now don't do it. Now they were willing to go in and do it. But still again, they were disobedient and unwilling to do what he said to do for a second time. If we want to experience the fullness of the blessings of God, we've got to do things the way he says to do them. Be willing and then also obedient. I'm willing to give, for example, of my tithes and offerings, but am I obedient to do it? Or I'm obedient to give my tithes and offerings, but am I willing to do it? You know, you can give without being willing to do it. God wants us to have both in sync. I am willing, a willing vessel, and I will do what you've instructed me to do. Now, our approach to God. Genesis, notice in chapter 3, our approach to God. This is what he just laid on my heart for us to approach his presence. This is where victory lies. This is where we obtain everything that is necessary for us to achieve success in every realm of life. And the Lord God said, behold, man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Man was banished from the presence of God. There was a time when he walked in perfect obedience to God and experienced the presence of God in such a profound way he could look into the face of God, actually communicate with God in the cool of the day and not die. Can you imagine that? No one could look upon the Lord and live, but there was a time when man was able to fellowship with God and walk in closest to God like that and still live. And that's hard for us to fathom or imagine, but it's true. Well, sin separated him from his God, and when sin separated him from his God, he was no longer able to experience that glorious place of God's presence. He was banished from the presence of God, and as a result of his sin, he had no way back. It would be impossible for him to find his way back to God. If it were not for God making it possible, man would have been lost for eternity. This is only something that God can do. Now, because he did it, what does that tell us? This was his will. This was his desire. He could have just dropped the whole thing and said, forget the whole thing. Forget man. Beloved, you're so important to him that he looked out for you. To take a hold of you. To bring you back into fellowship with him. So you can both hold his face one day. Can you imagine one day when this thing is all wrapped up and you're complete in spirit, in soul, and in body, and you have a glorified body, and you stand before the presence of Almighty God. You look to him face to face. Can you imagine that? What a day, a glorious day that is going to be when we all can experience that.
Amen. Well, man couldn't find his way back to God, but God made it possible. Now, we have no time to get through all the instances that took place from the fall of man to this point. But I want to see something here tonight that's so important to all of us. Man at one point had limited approach to the presence of God under the Abrahamic covenant, which had the Mosaic law added to it with the Ten Commandments and all that, the Levitical priesthood, and then all the legal sacrifices that were offered. So look at the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Here we have a limited approach to God. Over the years, God was making it possible for man to be reunited with himself through all these things. And notice this. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room was, were a lampstand, table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a golden incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted, leaves and the stone tablets of the Ark of the Covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place. And only once a year, and he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. So once a year we see the high priest was able to enter in by following specific instructions laid down by the Lord for him to enter in to the holiest place of all. You talk about limited access to the place of God's holiest presence. Only one person once a year on the day of atonement. But he had to follow explicit instructions. Remember, if my people perish, how? Lack of knowledge. If you're obedient and you do it his way, you're going to prosper. Okay, remember those things. Here we see God laying out certain instructions for them to enter in the, holy, the holiest place of all by the high priest with the blood sacrifice and so on. He could do that once a year. Not to follow the instructions would be tragic. Not to follow the instructions could mean death. Would mean death. Look in the book of Samuel. Here we have 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you recall the story of Uzzah. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to, to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him there for his heir and notice his heir and there he died by the ark of God. Now, we learn certain things from a situation like this. God gave specific instructions that man is to follow with regard to approaching his presence. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of the living God. And it must be the way he said to approach it, not the way man would want to approach it. Because if we don't do it God's way, then we can view it like this. Number one, we're not reverencing God's word. This is all about him, not us. 
It's his ways, his plans, his purposes. He tells us how to approach him. We don't tell him how we want to approach him. Number two, it shows that a person can also act independent of God. So in other words, I'm going to do it my way and act independent of God. I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it my way. This is the way I want to do it. Who's the first one that said that? Lucifer from the very beginning made a decision to step out of the boundaries that God established for his existence to do it his way. What does that mean to us? Well, first of all, I have to honor God's word and do it his way. Secondly, I have to act not independent of God, but dependent on God to do it the way he wants me to do it. Whether it's approach his presence, to live my life individually, in my marriage, the way he wants me to live my life and conduct myself the way he says I should conduct myself with my family, with my children, whether it's going to church and, and supporting his work, etc. We must, first of all, honor his word and live our lives accordingly. If we don't, we act independent of God and we do it our own way. Thirdly, it means we can view it as disobedience. And he said, you've got to be willing and obedient to eat the fruit of the land. So here we have a, a, an individual whose heart was right. We learn this also. His heart was right, but his approach was wrong. It starts with King David. When David sent for the Ark of the Covenant to be brought back, he did not follow the instructions he was supposed to follow. So he ignored the instructions of the Lord. He ignored the word of God and he began to do it his own way. He sent them out to do it his way, not God's way. And when they brought it back, it began to become unsteady. It began to fall. And think about this. Uzzah was, was concerned about, I guess, the Lord getting hurt. So when he saw it beginning to fall, he went to touch it himself, which was a violation of the will of God. No one can do that. You're going to die. And he did, and he died. David was wrong for what he did because he didn't follow the instructions. See, once again, it could be fatal, tragic. And even though the heart can be right, if the approach is wrong... It doesn't matter. We've got to do it God's way. How does that translate into our lives? It's the same thing. I've got to do it his way. I don't want to act independent of God and do it my way and think that I'm going to succeed. I want to live my life the way you want me to live my life. And if it comes to even approaching you, approaching your presence, I want to do so the way you said for me to approach your presence because I'm going to reverence your word. Number one, I want to act dependent on you knowing that you know more than I do. And I want to be obedient because if I'm obedient, I'm going to eat the good of the land. How's that translate into a worship service here? Just like tonight. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy Wednesday night coming together and just bowing before the presence of the living God. You know, the body of Christ needs to do more of that. Stop this entertaining everybody with lights and smoke and fog and all that stuff and put your face on the ground and just bow before the holy presence of the living God. As if we really view him as being holy. Join the heavenly host and choir and declare you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy to receive glory. You redeemed us by your blood. I'm coming, praise God, to honor and glorify you. That's why we're here tonight, to worship you, to give place to your manifested presence. You see, when we come together like that, the way he wants us to, he'll honor that and manifest himself in glorious and powerful ways. And that's the longing of our hearts. Amen? Don't you want to see him move in your life in a powerful and glorious way? Absolutely. All right, so we've got to do it God's way, the way he says to do it, and how he says to do it, that's what we want to do. 
So now, let's look at these verses of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10 because this is what it's all about. Our approach to God. If we want success, if we want a greater manifestation of the presence, power of God in our lives, this is how he said for us to approach him. In the old covenant, he told the high priest, you come in with the blood of a sacrificial animal. You follow in detail all the things I've instructed you to do. And you make certain that when you come in, you come in the way I said. When it comes to us, it's no different. He gave us instructions as to how to enter into the holiest place of all. And imagine this. That place has been open for over 2,000 years. I wonder how many believers have gotten all the way in. Or even taken the opportunity all the time to learn how to approach his divine presence in such a way says to experience him as Paul wanted to until you were consumed with his presence. All right, verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, or their hearts rather, and in their minds will I write them. Instead of the tablets of stone, the Decalogue on the two tablets of stone where he wrote the law for Moses, dealing with the external part of man, the outward part of man, the physical part of man, letting man know that you cannot save yourself by honoring my word and my laws and commandments because you never can keep them. That's what he did. He dealt with man from the outside to get to his heart. He says, but now a new covenant is emerging. And now I'm going to speak to your heart and to your mind. And now I'm going to write my laws upon your heart and upon your mind. It's a new covenant. It's a new day. It's a better covenant with better promises. I'm going to work on you from the inside to the outside. No longer from the outside to get to the inside. Because you see, once you gave your heart to Jesus and his spirit recreated your spirit and made you whole once again. And you have a relationship with God, become this new creation. He now begins to write his laws upon the heart and upon the mind to bring conviction of sin and things that displease him so that we can be sanctified and set apart to walk holy before a holy God. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now let's remember what he's talking about here in the book of Hebrews. Under the old covenant, their sins and iniquities were remembered from year to year. And every time the high priest would go in on the day of atonement, it reminded them of their shortcomings, of their faults, of their flaws, of their separation from God, and they still cannot have their sins completely remitted or removed from their account. They may be covered over, but that's about all there is to it. But notice he says in the new covenant, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It's remission of sin. There's no longer a remembrance of sin, of your shortcoming, faults, and failures that are confessed before the throne of Almighty God. Thank God you, they're no longer remembered by God. They're completely remitted, wiped out. Your slate is completely clean. Praise God. And so when we approach the throne of God, we're realizing we're not going there with him holding our sins against us or reminding us of our shortcoming, faults, and failures. When we come to worship like here tonight, 
You can come in here with all kind of guilt, sin, consciousness, condemnation, and all that. Or you can come in here, praise God, knowing that my sins have been remitted, removed completely, once and for all, never to be held against me ever again. So I can come in with joy in my heart, a spring in my step, knowing I can approach God. Now remember, we're approaching the holiest place of God's presence, where the high priest could only approach it under the old covenant. But now every person, praise God, has a right to enter in and draw from the holiest place of God's presence. Okay, look at the verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Praise God. The legal system has been abolished. The legal system has ended. There is no need for sacrificial animals any longer. There's no more offering for sin except for the offering of the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In other words, we approach the throne of God knowing that our sins have been remitted, completely forgiven, and wiped out. God doesn't remember them any longer. They're in a sea of forgetfulness and completely extinct and just gone. And we come with thanksgiving and the sacrifice of praise. I've come to thank you, praise God, for all that you've done for me. Jesus, I've come to exalt you and give you the glory that you deserve because of your blood. I've been, my sins have been remitted, and I can stand before the presence of the living God. I belong here in this place of God's holiest presence. He's telling us, this is how I want you to approach me. Okay, look at the next verse. Thank God, because of the blood of Jesus, we can enter in. Now look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We have access to the holiest place of God's presence only by the precious blood of Jesus. Why? Because he entered in with his blood for us, obtaining eternal redemption for us. And because of his blood, praise God, that's there upon the mercy seat that satisfied the claims of justice, the door has been opened to each and every individual person to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in their time of need. You're not going there based on your performance. You're going there based on the performance of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you and for me. And so we can come before the throne and say, Father, I'm coming not based on what I've done, not based on my works. Remember when Peter was at the gate of the temple called Beautiful? And he said to them, don't think that it's because of our holiness that we have caused this man to be whole. But it's his name through faith in his name that made this man strong and whom you see and know. The faith that is by him has given us perfect soundness in the presence of you all. It's not by our holiness. It's by the holiness of Jesus Christ. It's by his work, his efforts, all that he did and all that he's done for us. That we can come in, praise God, and enter into the holiest place of all. Now, sin may have shut the door and kept men on the outside. And I guarantee you this is exactly what the enemy wants to play on and pray on. He knows that sin will keep that door closed. He knows that sin will keep a person separated from God by his choice, not by God's choice. You know, when a person sins, they run from God rather than to God. It's just a feeling that a person has. It's the natural thing for people to do. They feel sin consciousness, guilt and condemnation, inferiority. And so they're just cowering like Adam and Eve in the beginning away from God. But he says, no, don't let those feelings and emotions keep you from before the throne. You come boldly to the throne of grace. There are two things. There's mercy and there's grace for you in your time of need. Mercy means I will forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and not hold you accountable at all once you get it under the blood. 
And grace means I will provide for you divine enablement and empowerment so that you can do what I've called you to do. Next time you face that challenge, you can rise up victoriously over it. But boldly we're to come to the throne of grace because of the blood that Jesus shed for us, knowing that we belong there. And knowing, praise God, we are pardoned there. We have peace with God there. We have confidence there. That's how he wants us to be before his throne. Not with this idea that can I barely make it in? No, but boldly enter in. Look at verse 20. By a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is a say his flesh. Notice it's a new and living way. It's a new way and a living way because you know what the old way was? The legal system, the sacrificial system, offering up dead animals before the throne of Almighty God so that the high priest can go in once a year. Well, you know what? It's a new and living way. And that new and living way is based on the life of Jesus Christ. The living way, he is a living Savior, not a dead Savior. He is alive, praise God. And by this new and living way, we have access to the holiest place of God's presence. His flesh, praise God, notice, his flesh is compared to the veil. That is to say, through, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh is compared to the veil. That veil separated man from God. That veil kept man on the outside and God on the inside. And again, only the high priest once a year on the day of atonement can enter into that place of God's holiest presence where he can experience what Adam had way back in the very beginning, only for a short period of time. Well, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, so don't say I'm being dogmatic about this, but this is, you, you look at some studies and you do look at some commentaries and commentators and things that they say. But you know, that veil... Had three colors, blue, purple, and scarlet. And it was woven together. And in this one commentary, it says the blue stands for separation. It's like we're here on earth and God's in heaven and the blue sky separates man from God. And that's why it was woven into the fabric of that veil. Then you've got the purple, which is the blue and the red mixed together makes purple and the purple is basically saying that in order for man represented by the blue to be cleansed from his sin a sacrifice of blood had to be made so that man can once again go beyond the blue and enter into that place of God's presence but that depends on the person because you see there has to be then the purple and then the orange that makes the scarlet and that means it stands for the fire, the purging fire of the spirit of the living God. So that when a person calls upon the name of Jesus and accepts his blood for his redemption, then the spirit of God purges him from his sin and becomes one with God, becomes a child of God. So when that thing was ripped in two from top to bottom, it meant now because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, that doorway is now open. Sin may have closed it, but righteousness opened it. And a man can now enter in and walk into the holiest place of God's presence by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that once again reunites God with man as he was from the very beginning and can enter in and have fellowship with God and experience the glory of God like he's never experienced ever before. And that's all because of what Jesus did. His sins have been purged and now he's accepted in the Beloved. Look at the next verse, verse 21. In verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God. Once again, typical of the high priest on earth through Aaron and his, his uh, sons 
Aaron being the first high priest, his sons, of course, following afterwards, make it, making up the Levitical priesthood. Well, a greater one than Aaron has come, a greater one than his sons have come. They were limited by their natural life on this earth, and that's why they had to keep living and then dying, and, and once again, another one would replace him and all that. But you and I, once again, do not serve a dead high priest. We serve a living high priest, yes, who died but rose again. And as high priest of the new covenant, he is ever present at the throne of God, representing you and me day and night. Not for one day, and then it's done. Not for one week, and then it's done. Not for one month, and it's over. Or a year, but every single moment of every single day, you and I have a high priest at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you know what? We can enter in by this high priest that we have who's represented us. And we can receive from the very presence of the living God the things that we need. Whether it's mercy, grace, healing, answers to prayer, deliverance, victory, finances, whatever it is. We need to go there the way he said to go there, knowing that we've got a high priest who represents us before the throne of God. And whatever we need to get the thing right, whether it's our family, our lives, our marriages, and our children, whatever, we can enter in because of this endless life that he has. And that's why he's better. Look at Hebrews 7, 16. It's because of his endless life, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. No beginning no end, the power of an endless life. Notice, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. People are running here and there, to and fro, trying to get answers and trying to get victory and all that. But it seems like as though not many understand that the door has been opened, the veil has been ripped in two. We can enter into the holiest place of all, and there we can find what we're looking for, as we enter the holiest place of God's presence, our victory is right there. I'm coming to you. But remember, the heart can be right, but the approach can be wrong. Some, they say that they want to pray to God, go to God, and they pray through all other kind of people. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said there's only one name recognized in heaven. Only one. And what is that name? That name is Jesus. Ask the Father in my name and he will give it to you. When's the last time we asked the Father for something in Jesus' name? Like, Father, I'm asking you to touch the heart and the mind of my child by your spirit. I'm asking it in Jesus' name. And I believe you'll surround him with your presence, your power, your favor, and you'll send labors of love across his path to open up his eyes to see the truth of your word. That he, he could be brought back from the land of the enemy to his own borders where he can faithfully serve you all the days of his life. Amen. Or I'm asking you, dear Father God, and then whatever your need might be, but make sure you go there to the throne and you go there and we'll see you here in a moment. Look at verse 22. Our approach. Here it is. Outline for us. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice those four mandates. Number one, a true heart. I am sincere. I am so sincere. My heart is pure. See, it's a matter of the heart. 
you have to uh, probably admit with me, agree with me, that sometimes, well, let's just say something as simple as this. You might say a prayer over your food to be sanctified, but you just do it like real quick, no meaning, no heart behind it. Have you ever done that? Has anyone ever done that? Am I the only one that's ever done that? You know, you're, you're, you're praying while the food's coming to your mouth. Oh, Lord, bless this. Since <laughs> because we're so used to doing it, we just figure that's just, you know, what you do. But did we really take a moment to slow down and say, Father, you said in your word, if I would love, honor, obey, and serve you, you'd bless my bread, you'd bless my water, take the sickness from the midst of me, and fulfill the number of my days. You said everything we eat is to be partaken of with thanksgiving. So I'm thanking you. I'm thanking you for the provision of this food that I need for my physical sustenance. And I believe that it's sanctified through your word and through prayer. And I'm receiving all that I need for my body to be nourished so that I can honor you and serve you faithfully with my life. So I'm coming with a true heart and I believe, dear Father God, it's sanctified and I'm going to receive it now with joy in Jesus' name. See, too oftentimes we just utter just a quick little prayer. We call it grace, but it's supposed to be a prayer of faith where we take the word of God to the throne and believe for his miraculous divine intervention. Number two, notice full assurance of faith. It's a pure, sincere heart, a true heart with full assurance of faith. Now, faith in what? Yes, bring the scripture that tells you what God promised you. But that's not the whole context here. Full assurance of faith. Do you have faith that Jesus did what was necessary to make the way of entrance available to all of us? Do we believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the efficacy of his blood? Do we believe the door has been opened, the veil has been removed, praise God, and we can enter in not by our performance, but by his performance I'm coming to your throne, Father, with this assurance in my heart, this confidence in my heart, not in who I am or what I've done, but in who he is and what he has done for me. So I'm making my way, praise God, in the outer court. I'm making my way into the holy place. I'm making my way into the holy of holies by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, knowing that the work he did for me was sufficient for me to stand here before your presence and before your throne and make my petition known to you. I've got full assurance of faith that I belong here. Look at the next one. And then cleanse our hearts, sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now he's dealing with the conscience. Remember, under the old covenant, the, man, the man's conscience could not be delivered. But here, because of the blood of Jesus, sprinkled by the blood of the Lamb, we no longer have an evil conscience where we are bombarded with thoughts in our minds about our shortcomings, our faults, our the devil will do everything in his power, I guarantee you, to get us away from the throne of God. To get us apart from thinking that we belong there. He'll point out all your flaws, all your shortcomings, all of mine, and just say, see, you're not that good of a Christian. You don't have a right to be here and make a demand upon the ability of God. Because yesterday you did this, or yesterday you did that, or whatever. Maybe this morning you did this or that. Well, I got news for you, devil. It's not based on what I did. 
It's based on what he did. It's not based on who I am. It's based on who he is. And so I'm coming to the throne of Almighty God. And even though maybe my feelings and emotions feel like as though I'm not adequate enough to be there, it's not about me. It's about the Son of the living God who gave himself for me. So I'm coming in by the blood of the Lamb. And my conscience, there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. There's no sin consciousness. There's no inferiority. The Bible says God's not condemning me. It's the evil one that wants to condemn us and bring us down and point out our faults and flaws. But praise God, I'm coming in. I'm approaching your throne. And I'm coming in with joy in my heart, praise God, because I know in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. I'm coming in to your throne, and I'm believing, praise God, in whatever it is you're believing for. I belong here. I'm going to connect with you. I'm going to cooperate with you. I'm going to join forces together with you in prayer and believing for a mighty work to be done in whatever that situation might be. And finally, look at the next one. Your body is washed in the pure water of the word. Your body's washed in the pure water of the word. What does that mean? The scriptures talk about in John chapter 15 and verse 3. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Yes, there is a water baptism that we should be baptized into. We're baptized into his death and all that. Symbolic of water baptism. But this is talking about being baptized in the water of his word. When we conduct ourselves as we live our lives in this physical body. Not in the lust of the flesh. But keeping this flesh under, crucifying it, sanctifying it, praise God, before God Almighty. As it says, this is a reasonable duty and service to do what? Present your body to God as a living sacrifice. So this body is washed in the water of the word. And what do we do as a spirit being? We tell our body, uh-uh, be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Because if you allow sin or our anger to lead you to sin, you're going to give place to the devil. You're going to give him a territory, a stronghold in your life. So don't let anger. So speak to your body and say, no, no, no. I'm saying, no, you can't do that. Paul says daily he beat up his body. He crucified it because he didn't want to be an outcast. So I keep my flesh under. I keep my body under. And he said in Galatians 5, there's a warfare taking place between the flesh and the spirit. And they're warring against each other so that we can't do what God wants us to do. Well, thanks be unto God, we can walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And not by our own strength or ability, but by the power of the Most High God. We can keep this flesh under where it belongs. As long as the enemy has us convinced that you just can't do it, there's no way you can overcome it. Guess what? He has you where he wants you. But when you start saying, maybe it doesn't look like it right now, but I'm telling you right now, I'm speaking to my flesh. I'm speaking to my body. I'm speaking to anger. I'm speaking to whatever needs to be spoken to. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the proud of life. You will not keep me from the divine presence of my loving Father. I'm entering in by the blood of the Lamb, and I am going to experience the fullness of all that I have provided, been provided for in redemption. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26. Another reference to the body being washed in the pure water of the Word. That he might sanctify, talking about the body of Christ, and cleanse it, how? With the washing of water by the word. The path of a believer's life should be coming brighter and brighter more and more to the perfect day. The longer we are in the Lord, you know what? The more of these things, these sins and wastes that beset us should be falling off the, by the wayside. Would you agree to that? Sure, we should be growing in the things of God. You know, this little thing, that little thing. If we find ourselves doing things that we used to do when we first got saved, you know what? We're heading backwards. Those things should be set aside. They should be overcome. 
And we should be pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling so that the life of Christ that's on the inside of us would manifest on the outside of us. This is what God is looking for in all of us. Just to continuously grow little by little as, as we continue serving Him with our lives upon the earth. And then obviously growing up in Him in all things. And finally, and this is a wonderful verse of Scripture. You ready for it? It was something I was just telling Brother Chuck here this morning. If you were here on Sunday, I talked about how um, all these certain little statements that we make as Christians, you know, like let go and let God was one of them. Remember that? Let go and let God. If you don't qualify that statement, the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. I'm just going to let go and let God. But, you know, the Bible says hold on. Hold on. You may let go of your worry, your problem, your situation, turn over to God, but then you've got to hold on to your confession of faith without wavering, we're told. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold. Not let go. Lay hold. You know, what will be will be. All things work together for good, but you've got to qualify that as well. All these, believe it or not, are doctrines of devils. Did you know that? Why? To make you inactive. To make you passive. To make me passive. To make us inactive. Thinking that, well, God's taking care of it. God's taking care of it. God's taking care of it. You know, there's an enemy out there at work against you. You realize that? He's at work and he is planning strategies and wiles to, to target our lives and bring certain things our way to destroy us. He comes for re- three reasons, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And as I said Sunday, he doesn't, he doesn't just come in, a, in introducing himself to you as your neighborhood devil. With a pitchfork and a red suit, I'm your neighborhood devil. And I've come to offer you three things. For, for $20, you can have stealing. For $20, you can have killing. For $20, you can have destruction. Kill, steal, destroy. But I'll make you a great deal. You can bundle them together. And I'll give them to you for $29.99. If you take them individually, it'd be 60 bucks. But this is $29.99. What a deal this is. He doesn't come like that and just say, that's what I've come. He comes to very subtly deceive us with his craftiness and make us think that's the way it is. That's the way it is. God, all things work together for good. So what do you do? You say, oh, it's working together for my good. No, it's not. It meant you think he didn't exist in some people's lives. He came to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy. And we need to be proactive as believers and start saying, you can't steal from me. Look at The Bible says if we don't sin, the wicked one touches us not. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 19, we saw that in the uh, NIV version of the Bible, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So once again, we have this statement. What do we say? God's in control. No, he's not. The devil wants us to think God's in control by just saying God's in control. Is God really in control? If he was really in control, like I said Sunday, that if he was in control, this world would be a better place. If he was in control, it would be heaven on earth. Because when he was here and he was in control, he made it heaven-like on earth and healed everybody that came to him and delivered and set him free, right? God's not in control of everything. If he was in control of everything, like I said, it would be a great place to be. But he's not. But if we believe he is and that everything that's happening is under his control, we won't be proactive and aggressive to stand against it and overcome it. But if it steals, kills, and destroys, it doesn't come from him, and that's not in his control. He's come to, Jesus said, I'm the life giver. I came to give you life, and that more abundantly. So it's up to us to close the door to the devil and not listen to his lies be proactive and aggressive and take a hold of the word of God, enter the throne of God and just say, Father, this is your promise. This is what you said. I'm going to hold this word up before you in Jesus' precious name because I know this is your will. It represents your will for my life. 
And when I'm going to turn it over to you, I'm going to let go of the problem. I'm going to give it to you. But I'm going to hold fast my confession. Look at that verse, verse 23. Hold fast my confession of faith without wavering. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful to promise. Why does he add without wavering? Because it's possible to waver. You and I will be attacked by the enemy whenever we turn something over to God and we hold fast our confession of faith and just say, with his stripes I am healed. I guarantee you, before you see the end result, you'll be challenged along the way to forfeit or abort your faith project. And we'll be tempted in many, many ways. Our feelings, our emotions, doctors' reports, and all that sort of thing. It's up to us to hold fast our profession, declaration of faith without wavering because we serve a faithful God. I've turned it over to you. And I'm believing, praise God, that you are at work in my situation. And I'm just going to continue praising you for the victory and for the answer. You're at work in my life. You're at work in my marriage. You're at work with my children. You're at work in my church. You're at work in my country and my nation and my, and my job, wherever I work, praise God. I've come there. You are in me and you're greater in me than he that is in this world. And so, Father, I'm boldly coming before your throne, hallelujah, to experience your glorious presence and power in my life. Let's all stand together before the Lord.